Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Today's scripture comes to us from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. I invite you to join however you know best. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. May God add blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Would you join me in prayer? God, in this moment and in this time, help us to sing this song once more. From the very depths of our souls, may we join with Mary with heaven and nature and sing of your coming reign. Amen. As almost all of you know, I am from Ada, Oklahoma, forwards and backwards, we're ADA, and I have a system for what happens when I go home. I eat breakfast with Steve Houston at the Aldridge Cafe. Now, Steve is one of my very best friends, despite the fact that he is 50 years older than I am. And many of you, if you know him, will know him because of his work with the Disciples Volunteering, where he manages disaster relief builds, like with Texas City when we went twice in 2019, or with the family we helped here in El Reno this past spring. 
And so after we get done shooting the breeze until it looks like Swiss cheese, we then go to the second part of our morning, which is we stroll across the street to annoy Randy at Martin's Jewelry. Randy, or more properly, Pastor Randy, is a jeweler by day and the pastor of Mustang Christian Church by night. When I was growing up, he was our choir director in Ada, but now we're both serving as pastors in Canadian County. Watch out, you Canadian County rednecks. The Pontotoc County hillbillies are coming for you. <laughs> and I was, as I and Steve uh, were annoying him this past Thanksgiving uh, week and probably scaring his business away, I was looking at his be- watches and rings and beautiful things and asked him, what's the difference in yellow gold and white gold? Same gold. He said, but gold rings are an alloy. Because gold is soft, we mix it with other metals, some of which look white, some yellow, some rose. As it turns out, white gold is much more popular right now, and I asked him why, and he said, well, you see, my parents had white gold. And when I got my class ring, I got it in white gold because it was what my parents had. When it came time for me to be married, I wanted to be my own man, and I picked yellow, And I thought about it, and my grandmother wore a white gold band, and my mother wore a yellow gold band. So I understood the point here. It flip-flops based on what your mother had. It flip-flops based on the last generation. Conflicts between generation is as old as the hills. It's why teenagers, after all, are so disrespectful, and why parents are so dull, and they'll just never get it. It's what tears the fabric of society apart, kids these days. Or actually, it's the secret sauce that helps new ideas be born out of that grist and that generational conflict. It's mostly a given that, well, we weren't like that when we were that age. Perhaps, though, something else is possible. Something besides the standard script something besides generational conflict, perhaps something like intergenerational community could happen instead. Today we are continuing our Advent worship series, Let Heaven and Nature Sing. And as we wait for the coming of the Christ child in holy wonder, we are turning to the songs and the sounds of that season to guide us into deeper truth and mystery of the Incarnation of Jesus our Lord. We're being guided back by music not only because it is, above all others, the linchpin of the Christmas season for both sacred and secular times, but we are being guided back by music because in Luke's gospel, it seems that everyone is breaking out in song. It's like a Broadway musical. The angels are singing. Simeon and Anna are singing. Zechariah is singing as well as he can after he had his voice box turned off for several months. But more than anyone else, Mary sings. As we were doing our Advent devotional, uh, I had a limit that you can only do, uh, a song could only be claimed twice. So if you look, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, there's only two entries for it. Oh, Holy Night, only two. But the one that I had to turn back the most... And I could have had like six or seven more devotionals if I would have broken this rule. Was Mary, Did You Know? It is, I believe, the most popular Christmas song of this congregation. Its melody is soulful and reflective. 
It gives us Protestants a way to reflect on the experience and life of Mary, who we so often cut out of the story. It gives us, many of us who have wondered about a new life forming in utero, an entry point into what it must have been like to be that that holy family in Bethlehem. And, with all due respect to the favorite Christmas song of this congregation, Mary knew. In the process of singing her song, Mary becomes the first disciple of Jesus. The first follower of this new way that God has entered into the world. Mary sings this hymn which begins with her life and the glory that God has done for her. And after she's done giving thanks and praise to God, she broadens the horizon to do a future story of what will be because of Jesus. She moves from the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name in verse 49 to his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation in verse 50. She then goes on a tour going by the proud and the powerful, the rich and seeing that God will cast them down and send them away. And instead, God is going to find the lowly and the hungry. That is what Jesus will do. Those are the ones who will be lifted up in this upside-down reign of God. But what is captivating me about this story today is when Mary sings her song. It's not in the paragraph before when Gabriel comes to tell her that she has found favor with God. It's not on her way to her cousin Elizabeth's home. But as soon as Elizabeth says her words of blessing, it is is as if Mary's lips are unlocked. Mary, who so far in this gospel has only said two sentences, begins a hymn of praise similar to the psalm attributed to David. And so it seems to me, on this morning... That Mary could not sing that her soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior without that nudge of Elizabeth. Her blessing, a blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. These two women will only intersect at one point in the story, at this moment. The baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb, the prophet already prophesying. And Elizabeth calls to Mary that she is blessed. And so like mother, like son, they will both testify to God's glorious work. Both Elizabeth and John will make ways possible for Mary and Jesus. Oh, they're also radically different in age. Mary is probably a little too young for this and Elizabeth is certainly too old. And yet, instead of intergenerational conflict, Elizabeth and Mary choose intergenerational cooperation so that God's new thing can make its advent in the world. Intergenerational conflict which required Elizabeth to trust and respect the younger Mary. Trust her to sing out and to preach it right with her song about God's coming reign. Intergenerational cooperation which required Mary to take the hopes and dreams of the tradition she inherits, a tradition that has been carefully tended to by Elizabeth, 
who is a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest, and to receive that inheritance as a gift to build upon. Respecting the younger generations, inheriting the gifts of the older instead of refusing them, that is hard, my friends. It's rare and rarer still today. As many of you know, intergenerational communities are rare in today's world. They don't work well for our economy based on ever-increasing consumption. It is much more profitable to break people up into subgroups, stir up fear and anger between those subgroups, and then make a lot of cash selling out the products that will scratch that itch and soothe those sick burns. Perhaps that is one reason why Mary sings, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. So we are primed even more than Mary and Elizabeth to not trust young people to be leaders or visionaries or change agents, despite the fact that that is indeed the gospel. Not only was Mary young, but so was Jesus. He began his ministry and was killed about three years in. Today, we would say it just wasn't a very good fit for a pastor or a prophet or a priest or a king. Nor do we trust those who are older to have done their best in their life, to have done the work of strengthening and changing and protecting traditions. Those who are younger are not always gracious with their ancestors and those who walked the path first. Now hear me out. I'm not saying that critique isn't valid or has no home. That's not true. It certainly is important. Living means that we open ourselves up to criticism and trust that along the way we will get it wrong. And the people who are best poised to see how wrong we get it are indeed the ones who inherit our mess. But living also means that you know you will get it wrong and that the generation after you is going to have the receipts for all that you have to account for too. I'm also not saying that any subgroup identity is invalid. There are reasons that we need to break into little caucuses of identity from time to time. It's good to be around people where you don't have to explain everything, where the subtexts are already known. In other words, it's a good thing to have some friends that are your age. But instead of treating our intergenerational conflicts like the popularity of gold in one day, out the other, come back again, go out again, lather, rinse, repeat. What if instead we use our differences for the benefit of God, creation, and our fellow human beings? Incidentally, that is a gamble that this church is making. Even though it isn't popular, we are proudly intergenerational. It's a decision that affects our ability to grow quickly, perhaps ever, if you're talking in the exponential sense. It means we're more relational, and that is a slow cooker model for making Christians. I mean, let's be realistic. There are only a handful of people who want both drums and a pipe organ in the same worship service. There are not a whole bunch who want their minister to wear a robe 
And there aren't a whole bunch who want a coat and tie. And there aren't a whole bunch who want jeans and maybe a polo. The reality is that none of us have our preferences completely satisfied in this hour of worship. And that there is a world out there where you can find a service that will fit your exact profile. But we have made the gamble that this way of uniting five, maybe six generations, depending on how you count, in one community before God might be better. Not for ourselves alone, but better for the service of God's purpose in the world. Which is why we do our best work when we bring forth intergenerational leadership. It's why our board of elders isn't just a board of olders, but runs from 30-something to 80-something. It's why we don't age out our Sunday school teachers or Logos teachers when they have a few wrinkles. It's why we ask our high school students to be junior deacons and to start now in the leadership of the church. It's why we bring intergenerational mission teams, whether we are in El Reno or Texas City or with our partners in Jamaica. It might even be why you hired a 20-something to be your pastor. Because we trust a God that is doing something across all generations. And we will miss the bigger picture if one of those pieces is out of place. My friends, it is true. Generations are different. And they have preferences, like the superiority of white gold to yellow gold. But most importantly... Every once in a while, we see what happens. That when you put these generations together, from zero to 100, we can join heaven and nature and sing as intergenerational messengers of God's peace. Just like Mary and Elizabeth. Singing about how God's peace is coming to us in our time. God's peace is coming even in the youngest generation. Even in a tiny babe. Amen.